Hey everyone, welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont campus in Belmont, Massachusetts. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian. I'm the pastor at Mount Hope in Belmont, and it's good to talk to you again. Have you ever assumed something only to find out later that what you thought was true wasn't true at all? Have you ever thought you knew somebody's name, said it boldly and confidently, only to find out later that wasn't their name? I think we all have the experience of assuming something is true and then finding out later that it's not. You know, our culture makes certain assumptions. We think things are true. And over these few weeks at Mount Hope, we're talking about whether or not the things we assume as a culture are true or not. In this sermon, we talk about an important one. And we ask the question, does greater individual freedom actually lead to greater happiness? Well, I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you'll listen closely, because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. A question for you, see if anyone knows this answer. In 1994, in 1994, there was a movie released. It remains uh, one of my favorite movies, personally. It follows uh, the life of a man named Andy Dufresne. And Andy Dufresne is wrongfully convicted of a double homicide and sentenced to two life terms uh, in a prison. Does anyone know the name of this movie? What's the name? Someone shout it out. Shawshank Redemption. See, you're ready for trivia night. I will see you tonight at five, and we'll do a whole lot more of that and raise some money for the food pantry. But Shawshank Redemption is correct. There's one character in Shawshank, that movie. Uh, that I want us to think about for a moment. And if you've never seen it, uh, you know, I'll set it up for you a little bit. So there's this man named Andy Dufresne. He's played by Tim Robbins, and he's wrongfully convicted of murder. He's sentenced to uh, two life terms in Shawshank, in Shawshank Prison. And while he's there, the movie goes, he gets to know some of the other inmates that are around him. And one of those inmates is a man by the name of Brooks Hadlin. And Brooks is somewhat of a tragic figure in the movie. You may remember if you've seen it. Brooks had been in Shawshank for over 50 years. In one moment, he's the, he's the nicest guy in the prison for most of the movie. He's kind and nice to all the other inmates. And at one point, though, he loses it, grabs Andy Dufresne and threatens to kill him. And afterwards, the other inmates are wondering what is happening. Why this sudden change in Brooks from being such a, a nice guy to, to threatening to hurt one of the other inmates? And they find out later that after 50 plus years, Brooks had just received parole. And he was so scared about leaving the confines of Shawshank Prison and going out into the world that he would rather do something to stay in captivity than get out and experience freedom. And as if you've seen the movie, you know that Brooks is a pretty tragic character because in the end, he decides he would rather die in captivity than leave and experience freedom. The narrator of the story, the, one of the, the main characters in the story, a, a guy by the name of Red that's played by Morgan Freeman, he says this about how Brooks felt in the prison, and it's dangerous to quote Morgan Freeman because I can't do the voice. So you can picture the voice in your head, Okay. This is what he says to Andy when he's talking about life within the prison. I'm telling you these walls are funny, he says. 
First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so that you depend on them. And we look from outside the walls of that prison in the movie, and we look at a character like Brooks, and we say to ourselves, what a tragedy. This man was so comfortable in captivity that he would rather stay there and die than leave and experience freedom on the outside. And what I want us to think about together this morning is whether or not we live the exact same way. That we live in a sense in captivity, enslaved, but we're so comfortable with it. It feels good to us. We understand it. That we would rather stay there than do something we're unsure of and experience true freedom. If you've been with us, if you were with us last week, you know we started last week a new sermon series that we're calling Groupthink, Challenging Our Assumptions. And the picture that we're using here uh, as we talk about things that by and large our society and our culture agrees on, and then we just weigh them out and ask if, if it's a good assumption that we're making, if it's truth. The illustration that we're using is that of cut flowers, and I have some cut flowers over here that we can look at as we go through this morning. Oz Guinness, a great thinker, theologian, author, He writes in his book, Impossible People, that the West, those of us that live in the Western world, we live in a cut flower society. And what he means by that, his conclusion, is that there are certain principles, certain ideas that actually grew out of a Christian or Jewish mindset that our culture adopted. But in today's world, they've been cut off from those roots and taken to a different place. And so, like a cut flower, when it's removed from its roots, looks nice for a while. I mean, I can tell you these are not the same cut flowers we had last week uh, because those got thrown away about Thursday. I had them in the fellowship hall, but they were done by then. Just in the same way as cut flowers only last for a while as they're cut off from the root, so, as Guinness suggests, these assumptions and these principles in our culture, they're going to look nice for a time, but eventually they're going to fade. The question we're asking is, is he right? Is that true? The principle I want us to think about this morning is something that certainly changed over time. If you look at culture and history, certainly in the West, if you're in a culture like in Europe or in the United States, this is true of our cultures. One thing that's changed over time is it used to be in ancient cultures and in traditional cultures today, this is the same way that the tribe or the culture or society was more important than the individual. That really was the individual's responsibility to surrender themselves to the tribe or the society or the culture. That is the way that people once lived, and some still do live in a more traditional society. But then Christian thought and Christian idea came along, and one of the things that began to change in the West was that people began to say, listen, the individual is important. The greater society is important, but so is the individual. The individual is created by God in his image and should be allowed to make choices. It's up to the individual to choose to follow God, to trust him, to believe in him. And so the idea that the individual is important, the idea that the individual should make decisions began to rise. But now in our culture, and my guess is you're, you'd agree with me on this, 
In our culture today, we have taken individual freedom of choice and rights to a whole new level. And in fact, we've cut it off from the idea that the reason individuals are important and the reason individuals should be able to make free choice is because they're created by God and because they are given certain inalienable rights because of, of who they are in, in God and made in his image. We've cut that off in our society by and large. I think whether you agree with me or, or not on other points, I think we can all agree on this. We've cut that off from that, that root, that foundation. And now we say the individual should be able to choose whatever it is they want to do and pursue whatever it is that they want to do just because that makes us happy. Not because God created us and so the individual is important, um, but because it makes us happy to be able to do what we want to do. And so we've taken that to another level. A couple years ago, the Barna Group did a study, uh, did a poll throughout the United States, and here's some of the conclusions they found. And I think we all agree with this. We're all on the same page, but here's a couple of things they found. What was surprising to me about this was how, just how pervasive the thought is. So Barna said the statement, the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. And 91% of U.S. adults agree with that statement. Then they said, people should not criticize someone else's life choices. And almost 90%, about 9 in 10 of us, agree with that statement as well. 86% of U.S. adults agreed with the statement, to be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire most. And 84% of U.S. adults say that the highest goal of life is to enjoy it as much as possible. Here's what we believe as a culture. Here's what we believe. As a culture, we believe the goal of this life is to be happy, right? That's by and large uh, what we believe. And Pharrell has, has cemented that in, in our culture. As a culture, we believe the goal of life is to be happy and that happiness is achieved by individuals pursuing what they desire. That's what we believe, by and large, as a culture. And here's our conclusion that we've made. Here's the assumption we make. We believe we should not restrain individual freedom. Rather, we should restrain anything that would infringe on an individual's right to do what they want. That's what we believe. The question that I want us to think about for the next couple of minutes is, are we making a good assumption? We said last week we've, always, we've all been in the place where we've assumed something is true. We've assumed something is right. I have certainly done this before, and I'm sure you have too, where you feel like you're right about something, and you're almost positive you're right, and it just turns out later that you were making a bad assumption. Maybe you thought you knew somebody's name, and you said their name boldly, uh, only for them to look at you kind of funny and say the correct name back to you. Uh, Or I said last week, maybe you walked up to someone in church, this happens in church world all the time, and said, we're so glad you're visiting, and the person said back to you, I've been here four months. And we make bad assumptions sometimes. We make bad assumptions sometimes, and the question is, are we making a bad assumption here? That's what I want us to think about. And to do that, we're going to look in two places this morning. The first place we're going to look is in John chapter 8. And so if you look in your Bible, if you go to the table of contents, you look at the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in John chapter 8. There's some Bibles in the chairs uh, in front of you. We'll also have the verses on the screen in a moment. And then we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And so if you want to put a bookmark or your thumb or your pen or something in Philippians chapter 2, you can uh, flip to the right a little bit, and eventually you'll come to Philippians, and you can stop there at chapter 2. But we're going to begin in John chapter 8. 
And in John chapter 8, Jesus is having a discussion with some Jewish folks who had believed in him. And I think that this is a key point for us to realize. Because I think that the room is mixed a little bit. There's probably some of us in the room that wouldn't call ourselves followers of Jesus, but my guess is by and large, most of us who are sitting in the room this morning would call ourselves people who believe. Jesus here says something that upon first reading, we might say, yeah, that's for the people that don't believe. They should listen to that. But we need to pay attention to whom Jesus is speaking in this passage. Jesus is speaking to people who believe in him. And so if you're someone in the room that calls yourself a believer of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, Jesus is speaking to you in this passage. He's telling us something that we need to know. And through this conversation, I believe this conversation will help us to be able to evaluate where we are as a culture and the assumptions that we make. Here's what happens. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Jesus goes to these believers and he says to them, you have a need. You don't realize it, but you live in captivity, he says to them. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin, Jesus says. And so he sits down with these believers or he's standing and talking to these believers and he says, you don't realize this, but you actually live in captivity. And the believers look back at him and say, what are you talking about? In fact, I would say the believers, these Jewish folks, look back at Jesus and do exactly what we do as a culture when someone comes to us and tells us that we are living in captivity or shouldn't be allowed to do something that we want to do. They do two things here in this passage. It's the same thing that we do as a culture. It's the same thing that we do as individuals. The first thing that they do in this passage is they deny the fact that they're in any sort of captivity. They deny the reality that they have any need to be set free from something. In fact, you can read it right there in verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you can say you will become free? Now, here's the thing about that response. I don't know if you know much about Jewish history. But for people who are Jewish to look back at Jesus and say, we are sons of Abraham, we have never been enslaved to anyone, uh, is being a little bit in self-denial, right? I don't know if they maybe had the worst Jewish history teachers in elementary school or if they just didn't pay attention. But if you look at Jewish history, right, in the Old Testament, there's quite a bit of enslavement. You remember when Charlton Heston led them out of Egypt? You remember that moment? <laughs> Right? When Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, they were moving out of slavery. Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, all had enslaved the Jewish people. And when Jesus is talking to 
these Jewish believers in John chapter 8, they're not living as free people in a free society. They are under the rule, the rule of Rome and Caesar. That's who they answer to. And so they look back at Jesus and say, what are you talking about? We, we've never been enslaved to anybody. How can you say that we need to be set free? And it's the exact same response that you and I have, isn't it? When someone comes to us and says, or Jesus would come to us and say, you have a need to be set free. You have a need to be set free. Whether you follow him or you don't, the, the message to you that Jesus has is if you follow me, you will be set free. And we respond to that and we say, what are you talking about? Set free from what? I have no need to be set free. I live in the land of the free. We have all sorts of choice. No one tells me what to think. No one tells me what to do. I'm free to do almost anything I want in our world. So what are you talking about that I have a need to be set free? It's the first way that they respond. The second thing that they do is the same thing that we do. The second thing they do is they, remo- they get ready to remove the barrier that would stop them from living in the freedom they want to live in. So Jesus says, you have a need to be free, and they deny it. They say, we have no need to be free. It's the same thing we do. And then Jesus says to them in verse 37 there, this is why you're moving to kill me. He says back to the Jewish believers, uh, listen, I hear the conversations. I see the little side chats. I know what's going on. This is why you're moving to kill me. It's because rather than consider what I'm saying and this need to be set free, you just want to get me out of the way. You would rather remove this barrier, this, this person that's telling you you have a need to be set free, you should live differently than actually engage them and face them. It's certainly what we do in our culture today. Rather than engaging in our culture, we spend most of our time shouting down other voices that would tell us we're wrong. And so when someone comes to us and says, you need to live differently, you need to be set free, we look back at them and say, what are you talking about? And don't talk to me again. And that's exactly how these Jewish believers respond to Jesus. So what is Jesus talking about here? And is what Jesus talking about the world that we're living in today? Jesus says to them, in a sense, I'm not talking about any physical enslavement that you might have. I'm not talking about a physical freedom. I'm talking about a spiritual freedom. In fact, you can do whatever you want on this earth. You can, you can live however you would choose to live, Jesus might say to them. But if you're someone who has committed a sin, if you're someone who's done something wrong, and whether you follow Jesus or not, if sin is defined as doing the opposite of what God asks us to do, then all of us, if we're honest, would admit that we've done something that's the opposite of what God's called us to do at some point in our life. And Jesus would say to us, if you have done it once, you are enslaved to sin. You're living in captivity. And we like to look back at Jesus and just deny it. We're comfortable here. We're comfortable with the world that we created. We're comfortable in the way that we live. We're comfortable in the way that we've decided what freedom looks like. And we look right back at Jesus and we say, what are you talking about? We live in captivity. I wonder, with this whole sort of stubborn assertion that we make, that we're making our society better by reducing restrictions, 
if we're willing to ask ourselves the really difficult questions, if we're really, really willing to ask ourselves if what we're moving towards is a society that's less enslaved or more enslaved, There's no doubt that over the last few years we have moved in this direction. That as a culture we've moved in this direction over the last decade. But some other things have happened in our culture over the last decade that I don't think we should ignore. The National Center for Health Statistics reports that over the last decade, the suicide rate in our culture has increased by 24%. And that's not one subgroup. That's overall. We turn on the news and we hear about an opioid crisis. And it's affecting many families. Some of us that are sitting in the room, this affects our family in some way. Opioid deaths have quadrupled since 1999. The Journal of the American Medical Association just in August of this year released a study that looked at alcohol use from 2002 and 2003 and then in 2012 and 2013. You might have seen it in the news. It was, it was the day they released it. It was on all the web pages, on, on all the programs. And they reported that in that decade, abusive alcohol use has increased in the United States by 24.4%. And across all socioeconomic brackets, it's not exclusive to a gender, it's not exclusive to a salary bracket, it's increased across the United States. And that alcohol-related disorders that can be diagnosed have increased by over 49% in that decade. We have a self-help industry that's worth billions of dollars and only continues to grow in our need for counseling and medicine and prescriptions to help us make it through life only goes up. I'm not saying that all of those things are bad or wrong, but what I'm am saying is we need to ask ourselves the difficult question. If our culture is moving in this direction over the last decade and all these things are increasing, are we really moving in the right direction? Barry Swartz is a psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania. Not a believer, as far as I know. I don't know what his religious beliefs are. But in his book and in his TED Talk of the same name, The Paradox of Choice, this is what he says. Autonomy and freedom of choice are critical to our well-being, and choice is critical to freedom and autonomy. Now listen to what he says. Nonetheless, Though modern Americans have more choice than any group of people ever has before, and thus presumably more freedom and autonomy, we don't seem to be benefiting from it psychologically. It's interesting to me that a secular psychologist recognizes what's happening. We are increasing choice and becoming more enslaved. We are increasing choice and going in the direction that we think is going to make us free and we're more plagued uh, than ever before in some ways by our minds and people trying to figure out a way to escape this world so they don't have to deal with it. And Jesus would look at us and say, if you want to be free, follow me. 
And we look back at him and we're just like Brooks Hadlin in Shawshank Redemption. And we look outside at that and we say it back to Jesus, we say, what are you talking about? I cannot picture a reality where what you're talking about outside of these walls is a greater freedom than what I'm experiencing inside of this place. I'm comfortable here. I understand how it works. I'm pretty much able to do what I want. And so why would I leave it to go and try to experience something that you're telling me is better, but I can't even picture it? We've become satisfied living within the walls of our own captivity and not willing to step out to the freedom that Jesus offers us. You see, the real problem that we have isn't that we're not happy because we don't have choice. We think that's the problem. We think we're not happy, we're not satisfied. You know what the problem is? We're not able to do what we want to do. But that's not our real problem. Our real problem is the same that it's always been. The real problem is sin, and the only answer is Jesus Christ. The real thing that you and I need to be freed from is sin, and the only person who offers us freedom from that is Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul reminds us and the church in Philippi something amazing that God did for you. And in chapter 2, verse 5, this is what he says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he, that's Jesus, though Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul reminds us here of something amazing that God has done for us. God did for you. Jesus was in heaven, fully God, and restricted himself came down to this earth, Paul reminds us, took on human form and all that comes with it, took all of that on, went to death on the cross. Jesus restricted his freedom abundantly so that you and I might have the opportunity to gain true freedom. The question is whether or not we are willing to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ in order to gain it. The idea that we might find greater freedom by restricting ourselves to Jesus Christ doesn't work in our modern brains sometimes because we're all wired to believe that if we, if we get rid of constraints, that creates freedom. But getting rid of restraints doesn't necessarily create freedom. Ever since you're, you were a child, when it was time to play a game, everyone wanted to know the rules, even if you were making them up. Even if you were in a giant field and you said, okay, we're playing hide and seek, you can't go past that big tree and you can't go past that house, but you can hide anywhere in here. We're always creating the rules. Even if we're making them up, we're creating the rules because the rules bring about more freedom. 
Imagine if at one o'clock today, the Patriots and the Saints took the field and the officials said, guys, just do whatever you want. No problem. We're not going to blow the whistle. Uh, the white lines mean nothing. And uh, here's the ball. Everybody do what you want for the next three hours. It would be a terrible game. The rules, the boundaries create the freedom for the game to happen. Take a look at a fish tank. You have a fish tank. The boundaries of the fish tank create the freedom for the fish to be able to live. If you walked up to the fish tank and you said, I'm going to set these fish free from the New England Aquarium by smashing this giant round tank, you would create much less freedom, not greater freedom. Because true freedom is not found in just removing boundaries. True freedom is Christ. In Christ is found through unrestricted surrender to him. If you're here this morning and you don't follow Jesus, you may assert your freedom just like the people did to Jesus Christ. My guess is in your heart and in your soul, you know that it's not true. We live in this great free society where we can be whoever we want, but we never put who we really are on social media. Why not? Because there's something wrong with who we really are. We can be whoever we want in this society, but we never really let everyone at work know who we really are. Why not? If that's the path to happiness, why not? Because there's this bigger captivity that we face. And we can make a choice with our lives. We can either stay in the captivity that we're comfortable in and be a tragic figure dying in that place, or we can take what Jesus Christ is offering us as he restricted his freedom to offer us true freedom. We surrender our lives to him that we might gain it. And only once we've done it do we look back and see the prison that we used to live in, see the place where we used to be enslaved and say to ourselves, how did I ever think I was free before? And so this morning you may be in the room and you may not under, understand it 100%, but God might be speaking to your heart. You may be thinking that there is truth to what is being said this morning. I would encourage you to take the plunge and take Jesus at his word and to believe that when he says, if you abide in his word, he will set you free and that you will be free indeed, that that is absolutely true. That if you would surrender your life to him, you have tried so hard in your life to find freedom. You have tried so hard in your life to break away and it is impossible to do it. You've made every choice that you wanted to make. You've done things that you didn't even think you were ever going to do, be able to do and you've tried it all. And yet you know there's this captivity that remains. Take Jesus at his word this morning and surrender your life to him and you will find true freedom. Some of us that have followed Jesus for a long time, we just make the mistake of, of buying back into the lie that somehow we're going to find freedom and happiness in this world. And maybe that's you in the room this morning. Maybe you're just like the Jewish believers. 
that Jesus was talking to. These were people who believe, people that followed Jesus. And maybe that's you this morning. You're sitting in the room and you say, I am a follower. I am a believer. I am someone who, who follows Jesus Christ with my life. But I'm realizing right now that I've gone back and I'm buying into the same lie that these believers were buying into. That I've gone back and I've tried to find true freedom in this world where it doesn't exist. This morning is a morning for you to stand before God and surrender yourself back to Jesus Christ. Because true freedom doesn't come when we just get rid of all our boundaries. True freedom comes in unrestricted surrender to Jesus. Thank you again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont campus. At Mount Hope, we gather each week to learn more about God, grow in our love of God and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts area, we'd love to have you join us. We meet Sunday mornings in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and Sunday mornings in Belmont at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at our website, www.mounthope.org. Now may you go and live a life that brings glory to God.